So, how many of you guys, we don't have it in the bookcase any longer, but we used to have a book called Shattered Dreams. How many of you have read Shattered Dreams? Now, I know, I know, Chinelo, you have, right? I mean, we actually did a study with the young adults. Were you here, Shibomi? Okay, that was before your time. So, um, so you're the only one I can ask, because I wanted to ask this question. How many of you have reread Shattered Dreams? Because. Okay, I read it before Bible study. Oh, so you've been through it twice? Yeah. Excellent. Because really, it's one of those books I think every Christian should read. I've actually reread it, which is unusual. I don't normally reread a book, it's extremely extraordinary. Uh, I did this one, and I commend it to you Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb. I was um, meditating on Psalm 23 this week. So what is the lesson of verse 4, Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. So immediately, what's the obvious question that raises up in your mind? Why is the good shepherd taking his sheep through what? The valley of the shadow of death. What's the answer? To get to the other side, right? You knew that one, right? Do you maybe? <laughs> and this is the sermon. You heard me read the text. To take his sheep to a better place. He takes his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death to bring his sheep to a better place. This is what the Good Shepherd always does. You know how that text ends. David says, I fear no evil. Why does he not fear any evil? Why? Because his good shepherd is with him. His good shepherd's taking him through the valley of the shadow of death. This is Psalm 42, right? This is Psalm 42. It's why I think the Lord had me meditating on the 23rd Psalm. David could walk through the valley. David could go anywhere with his good shepherd. Amen? So every Christian out here knows this. <laughs> we could go anywhere as long as we're with him. As long as we're with the good shepherd. I remember, Chenelo, when we studied through that book, you probably don't remember this. I remember things, well, selectively at my age. But um, someone asked the question. It's about trusting God. Obviously, David is trusting God through the valley of the shadow of death. So, the question came up in this study with the young adults on Shattered Dreams. How can I trust God in an existential sense? Well, that's an impressive word. It simply means in a, in a real-life, practical kind of way that, that uh, promotes my flourishing, we'll say. How can we do that? How can we trust God? Well, the obvious answer is, if you're trusting God to be something less than He's promised to be, you can't. So I'm going to try to make a fine point here, and I want you... I want you to follow me. If you're trusting God to give you something less than Himself, He won't. God doesn't keep uh, lesser promises that the pseudo-church has been propagating for two millennia. What is God's ultimate promise to His people? What is it? Who said that? Bertha. She's my go-to girl. Bertha. That's the ultimate promise. And guess what God's going to do? He's going to give you Himself. Now, the problem with many 
people who profess to be Christians is we're, we've been wholly distracted by something in the world. It may be something legitimate. It could be family, career, kids, uh, marriage. It could be legitimate things that have superseded our, de- our desire and our pursuing after God. God created and redeemed you to be in deep intimacy with Him. That's really what all of this is about. You need to understand that's really what all of this is about. It's to be in deep relationship. Deep relationship. Not, again, some superficial religious habit. So, if you are doing what many who call themselves Christians are doing, trying to use God to get stuff. And those of you who've been around, you know how I feel about this. I hate it. It's apostasy. Um, This utilitarian view of God. He's my Santa Claus. And if I stroke Him just right, I'll get whatever I want. Listen, if that's how you think about God, you don't know anything about the biblical God. He will not be used for any lesser blessing. He is the consummate blessing, and if you are His, He will give Himself to you. That's part of what the valley of the shadow of death is all about. So what I want to say to you, if you're using God, you can't trust God for that. You can't trust God if you're using God for some temporal thing. You can't trust Him for that because He hasn't promised you that. He's promised you Himself. And He will give it. And yes, God is a gracious God. He's a benevolent God. He, he may give you everything your heart desires. But I'm going to tell you from, uh, you know, from past experience that Psalm 42 will happen to you. If it hasn't happened to you, it will happen to you. You will be in despair at some point in your life. You will be disillusioned. You will be depressed. You will cry out, Oh my soul, why are you in despair? Beloved, we all need Psalm 42. We really, really do. It's like we were talking about last week. We all desperately need Psalm 51. Praise God, Psalm 51 is in the Bible. But we all need Psalm 52. So, if you truly desire something in this life more than you desire God, you can't trust Him for that. He will not let you settle. If you belong to Him, He will not let you settle. He will give Himself to you. If you are His, that is His goal for you. In fact, if you're really His and you desire something more than Him, He'll blow that up. He's going to blow it up. If you profess to love Him, if you belong to Him, and you've set your heart, you've given your affections to something other than Him, uh, supremely and preeminently, He'll blow it up. And you know why He blows it up? Someone tell me. Because He loves you. He will not let you settle. You can't trust Him to give you lesser blessings. You can only trust Him to give you what He's promised to give you, which is Himself. Yeah, and He is... He's such a good and gracious, malevolent God. He he showers many blessings on His people. But He's not obliged to give you every good thing on the planet. He's not obliged to do it. He's only promised to give you Himself. So I just want to, before we get uh, into the text, I just want, want you to be honest. It's just you and God in your chair right here in this redeemed garage. What do you desire preeminently? And what are you pursuing most? in your life right now. Ergo, the name of the book, Shattered Dreams. 
if you call yourself a Christian and you're in love with something more than Jesus Christ, the shattered dream is coming. He will blow it up. Why? Because He loves you. He will blow it up because He loves you. So, your reflexive response to that question I just asked will reveal everything you need to know. You'll understand if I'm a God user or a God lover. They're contradictory. They're an oxymoron. You can't be both. I'm either a God user or I'm a God lover. Listen, if you, if, if you meet Christ in, in, in a life-changing way, circumstance becomes um, a lesser consideration. I'm not saying circumstances aren't, aren't important. I'm not dismissing these. We have to live our lives on this fallen, condemned planet. But it's compared to Christ. Compared to Christ, right? If you're a Christian, you understand what I'm trying to communicate. I'm not sure I'm doing it so well. So, if your honest answer to the question is, I desire something more in my life than Jesus, the shattered dream is coming. And you can praise God for it. Larry Crabb, let me quote him. Trusting God, listen to this, I love this quote. Trusting God is a dangerous business unless we've trusted Him for what He's actually promised to give. <laughs> okay, this is, where, this is where I hammer the, the, the health, wealth, and prosperity people. You know, if you take 90% of the texts that they use, you realize that the context is heaven. It's not here. It's not about here. As John Piper says, it's an over-realized eschatology. Uh, they're trying to pull out of heaven uh, what God has promised for heaven and trying to pull it back into this life. God's not obliged to give you every blessing. Who suffered the most in the New Testament apart from Jesus Christ? The greatest Christian? Paul! So, do you really think God's preeminent purpose for you is happiness? Something as superficial as happiness. He has something far bigger for you than just happiness. Yeah, happiness is great. But that's not the preeminent goal of God in your life on this planet. The psalmist learned it. And I presume most of you know it as well. Okay, I'll shut up about this. But the whole prosperity thing, it's an insult. Because in effect, what happens? What happens? What do the prosperity people want preeminently? Prosperity! I want health, wealth, and prosperity. I want it more than God. They don't say that, but that's the wholesale implication. I want blessing more than I want God. They don't talk this way, but that's the backhanded implication. It's blasphemy, beloved. That's what it is. So God's not simply in the business to make sure you have a good time and to be happy. <laughs> God's in the business of bringing you into conformity with His Son. This is what God is in the business of doing. And if we have met Him, we understand this is a blessed bit of good news. Don't, I'm going to say it again, don't bore me with the prosperity gospel. 
Don't bore me with it. It's just way too small. It's just way too small. So if you're trusting God for happiness and, you know, to make your life comfortable and to have a good time, you can't trust Him for that. He has not promised you a good time. You may have a good time. I got to tell you, since I've been a Christian and walking with God, I've loved every minute of it. And some of it's been really hard, but He's always been there. He is the good shepherd, right? I can walk through the valley of shadow of death with Him. I fear no evil because He's with me and I'm with Him. It's how it works, beloved. Listen, I'm trying to free you up some. You need to get free, right? You can walk as a Christian, a fearless Christian with God because He is who He is. Okay, Larry Crabb one more time and then we'll move on. Listen to this. I love this quote. Our shattered dreams are never random. They are always a piece in a larger puzzle, a chapter in God's larger story. Pain is tragedy, but it's never only tragedy. For the Christian, it's always a necessary mile in that long journey to joy. An opportunity to be embraced, to discover our desire for the highest blessing God wants to give us. And yes, Bertha is right. That is Himself. This is where God is taking you. And if you want something less than Him, don't claim His promises. You've been misguided. You've not understood what God means to do in your life. In my 35 years of lay and vocational ministry, this is a question I get a lot. Why did my dream crash and burn? Where's God? God is... He's not speaking. God is silent. Why is He silent? Why, why has this happened? Why has this befallen me? I get this question. I get this question. And you've heard me say it a lot. If the trial is here, can anybody finish that? If the trial is here, what? God's here. It's all the way through the Bible. It's explicitly said in several places. How does James say it? James chapter 1. Count it all joy when what? You encounter various... Why? God's here. Beloved, God's in the blessing and God's in the trial. If you're His, this is true. One theologian said it like this, God uses the trials to blow away our adulteries and addictions. In order that they may move into, in order that we may move into a deeper intimacy with Him, I love that adulteries and addictions. God's going to blow them up. <laughs> okay, if you love something more than Him, out of love He'll blow that up. Right? It's just what He does. Adulteries and addictions. I love how Crab says it. God is never not doing nothing. Okay. Even when you can't sort it out or figure it out or make any sense of it, He's the Good Shepherd. Why are you taking me through the valley of the shadow of death? Because He has something much larger in mind than you do. Listen, I just want to, I always encourage you to do this. I really just want everyone in sitting in this room that knows Christ to simply, you can do this this week, just open your hands with God. Open them completely. Don't. 
Don't hold, don't try to hang on to anything else. Open your hands with God and watch what He does. Watch what He does. Just open your hands with God. And I want to say this. You can trust Him. So Psalm 42, that's what's going on here. Something's gone wrong. Something has brought him into deep despair. No doubt some cherished dream or desire has been shattered. Even if it's the simplistic dream of a trouble-free, comfortable life, it has been shattered. The psalmist is crying out to God from the very core of his being, right? You can feel the pathos here as the psalmist cries out. There's disillusionment. There's disappointment. There's sorrow. There's grief. There's depression. The pain is real. The dream is shattered. The dream has been shattered. Some of you, if you've reached any age at all, you've had one of these or two or three. You understand. And the Bible is telling us that God's bigger than every shattered dream. So we see here in Psalm 42 a conflict between the flesh and the spirit, between hope and despair, and between the senses and faith. So let's watch the struggle here and let's learn from it. Verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for You, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? He's crying out to God. There's an overwhelming need. There's also a perceived estrangement. And those of you who are mature Christians, you understand. It feels like when it's hard, it sometimes feel like, it feels like God has turned His back on you. Right? And, and when He's quiet, it feels like, it feels like well, why isn't He speaking? And so there's this, this sense of estrangement. Well, but what I want to say to you as we go through the psalm, there is no estrangement. God's in the middle of it. It's just like Job. He was all in the middle of it. He was always in the middle of it. And he was bringing Job to a more intimate place with him. Man, you've got to love the book of Job. I've known brothers who will not study the book of Job. I don't want to, I don't like the book of Job. <laughs> what is God teaching us in the book of Job? I'm better than all the blessings. And you've got to have me, man. You've got to know me. I'm your preeminent blessing. Your preeminent treasure. So, you know, when it gets hard, people say, where's the blessing? What is God doing? And I've told you this many times. <laughs> he rarely answers the why questions. He's just not going to tell you. But we are, because we're supposed to already know. We're supposed to already know what He's doing. He's changing me into the image of Christ. I don't have to know anything more than that. Why should he bother answering why questions when we really already know the answer? There's a definition between there's a there's a difference in the definition between how you might define good and how God defines good. <laughs> and and of course I've been talking all around it, right? Sometimes we we define good as What's circumstantially comfortable and easy? This is never God's definition. Okay? God's definition of good is you get me. And if you've been a Christian any number of years, you know you get much more of God in the trial than you do in the blessing. 
You, it's just the reality. If you're young and you don't believe me, okay, just live a few more years. You'll find out what's true. You'll find out that the bond between shepherd and sheep, it grows immensely in the valley of the shadow of death. I love how C.S. Lewis talks about this. He says, God's love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. God will take endless trouble and doubtless give endless trouble to those whom He loves. You get it? I think that's going to be the title of the sermon on the podcast site. Stern and splendid love. I think that's beautiful. I've always told you guys, God will not be distracted with your temporal, ha- your temporal happiness. He will give you Himself. He will give you Himself. This is the greatest joy. What did He tell Abraham? What, did, what was Abraham's reward? Tell me. God. I am your great, your exceedingly great reward. I am. Yeah, I'm going to give you the Son. I'm going to give you descendants so great that you can't count them. Yeah, you're going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless your flocks and your herds. But your great reward is Me. This was what God told Abraham. There's this great quote in a book I, uh, I recommend to you. It's called Anything. It's a book that, written by uh, a young woman. That, and Karen read it and she kept telling me about it. You know, and, and there's this great quote in there. I want to share it with you. The book's entitled Anything. It's by Jeannie Allen. You have to thank God for the seemingly good and the seemingly bad because really you don't know the difference. Amen? It looks bad, but God works it for good. This is what He does. You know, The cross looks like a disaster. All the disciples, we just got through with the Gospel of John. The cross looks like the ultimate disaster. What's God doing in the cross? He's saving His people. He's bringing glory to the Son and He's saving His people. It looked like a disaster. It was the best good ever in the history of mankind. Beloved, we've got to get God's perspective, man. And that's why I always exhort you to stay in the text, man. Stay in the Bible because you're getting God's perspective. You know, if you listen to the media, you're going to end up in a ditch because they don't know anything. Then Jeannie Allen says, the hard things in life have given me more of God. Amen? And if you've lived any number of years, you know that that is true. So the psalmist is thirsting for God in the trial. He desires God above else. This is when reality hits us. When it gets hard and reality's right in our face and we know we can't manage our lives. Right? We know that we are impotent. We have to cry out to the one who's omnipotent, right? We can't even manage our own lives. We, we like to entertain the illusion that we can, but we can't. You don't control anything, almost nothing. You know? Your next heartbeat, your next brainwave, that's in God's hands. Certainly not in ours. And I want to say this, and I'll go to verse 3. Okay. It's not just that God has allowed the trial. You know what I'm going to say, right? God's designed it. So, as a mature Christian, when it comes, we're not surprised. We're not shocked. It's here. Walk me through it, God. Let me make much of you in it, right? The trial's here. It's not a surprise. I'm ready. 
I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. I'm ready. I'm ready to make Christ look beautiful in the midst of this trial to my spouse, to my kids, to my co colleagues, to my neighbors. Everybody sees the glory of Christ in me. Reminds me of my wife when she walked through cancer, man. And I live with her. You know, you can fool a lot of people. You can't fool your spouse. <laughs> she just walked through it worshiping God. Making much of God. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Um, again, most conservative theologians believe that this is David. David is a warrior and David is weeping. Now, I believe it's David too. Can't, say, can't be dogmatic. But David is weeping. This is how much despair and depression he is experiencing. Um, day and night. You can, again, feel the, the pathos here. So, some of you older folks, maybe some of you younger, I'll ask you, uh, have you been there? If not, you will be. And the beautiful thing is, our Good Shepherd will take us through the valley of the shadow of death. And I love this thing about what he says here about his tears. You guys know Psalm 56.8, right? It's one of my favorite psalms. David says to God, you have taken account of my wanderings and put my tears, what? In your bottle. God, listen, you don't have one tear to waste. God knows about every tear and He's putting them in a bottle and He's doing something good in them, right? You don't, you know, it's like the unbelievers just wasted pain, but for us, God is doing, not only doing a thing, He's treasuring the tears. He's, there's a beautiful intimacy here. I've always loved this, this, this reference. Are my tears not in your book, David says? Have they not been recorded? Have they not been noticed? Will they not yield up the, the, the purpose for which you intended? Of course they will! So listen, when you weep, if, when you weep in the trial, you can just remember God, God's caught every tear, man. There's some beautiful stuff here, beloved. And is there a more blasphemous or vicious slander than for unbelievers to say? And I've heard this. Some of you have said it. Where's your God now? Right? You've heard this. Well, where's your God now? Where's He now? What good is He? This is what is being said to the psalmist. We can say, He's on His throne and He's loving me. It doesn't matter if you understand it or not. It doesn't matter if I understand it or not. He's on His throne and He's loving me. Beloved, what is the essence of Christianity? I believe it. Even when I can't understand it, I believe it. What is it that pleases God? Hebrews 11. What is it that pleases God? Faith. And when you're in the trial, you get to exercise great quantities of faith. The thing that pleases God. It's an opportunity, beloved is what it is. Verse 4, These things I remember and I pour out my soul within me for I used to go along with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with the voice of joy and thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival. This is the reason many people believe David wrote this. They believe that this would be an occasion where he was on exile running from either Saul or Absalom and he was away from 
the temple and he could not be there or the tabernacle to worship. So, um, this is why many do believe that this is David. And it's why ICM exists, right? It's because you English speakers from all over the world, you want to worship God. You're just like David. Man, I gotta be with God's people, man. I gotta be with God's people. I, I gotta I gotta hear the word of God. I I have to do it. I have to do it. <laughs> it's why you come. It's non negotiable for you. It's not a matter of convenience, it's a matter of necessity, right? For the true believer. The one who wants to grow in Christ and be changed and be part of the body and use their gift in the body, right? It's what this is what David is saying. Man, I missed that chance to be with God's people and, 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 and with the throng, he says, and be in the procession and with the voice of joy and thanksgiving. Crying out to God. You know, I, as an international pastor, you, you see this a lot. People, it's like it's, it's, it's kind of on the bubble, right? Sunday's on the bubble. David says, man, I wish I could be with my people. I wish I could be in God's house. It's what he's saying. It's what he's saying. You guys know Hebrews 10.25. It is good not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The maturing Christian is building his, his or her week around corporate worship. It's what we do. Because you know what? If you're not sitting under the preached word, if you're not listening to the preached word, you're going to be listening to something. It's like we talked about last week. If you're not looking at God, you're looking at something. You know, we talked about David looking at Bathsheba. If you're not looking at God and you're not being changed by God, yeah, it doesn't look good. Verse 5, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. Don't you love the psalmist is fighting despair? What's he doing? Chinelo, you and I talked about this some. What's he doing? He's doing something to himself. You forgot. I always put the pressure on you. I'm sorry. She knows I love her. Um, he's preaching to himself. Well, we've had some conversations about that. That's what you're supposed to do. You never listen to yourself, ever. The best way to disobey God is listen to yourself. Every time you will rationalize what He's called you to do. Every time you will. Every time you will. And if you really want to go with Christ, I mean, if you really, really want to go with Christ, if you want to do, you know... Um, those semi-crazy things for Christ? <laughs> yeah, it's imperative. You've got to preach to yourself, man. If you're listening to yourself, you will never go where God is calling you to go. You'll never go there. You'll never change. You'll wake up ten years from now and be exactly the same, in exactly the same spot with God. You haven't grown a bit. You haven't been sowing the good seed. So, David's preaching to himself. You have to love it, man. You have to love it. So, every morning you wake up, you're, you're talking to yourself. So, I just challenge you tomorrow when you wake up. Listen to the first thing you hear. It's going to be about you. It's going to be all about you. 
What, is, what does the Apostle say? Take your thoughts what? Captive. This is what we're talking about here, beloved. This is what we are talking about because I know this is true of you just like it's true of me. Sin is talking to you. Every day, sin's talking to you. Rebellion's talking to you. Indifference is talking to you. Apathy's talking to you. So beloved, we have to be like David. We have to preach to ourselves. We have to do it. We have to do it. You guys know Psalm 30, verse 5. Famous, famous verse. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. So we preach to ourselves. We preach ourselves into joy. And listen, you can't do it lest you know the Word of God, right? You've got to know the Word of God. That's why I tell you to be in the Word of God. And then you have all of these verses that you can pull from, right? And they're hidden in your heart. And you can preach to yourself. Verse 6, Oh my God, my soul is in despair within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the peaks of Hermon, and from Mount Mazar. The psalmist says, My soul is in despair. It's real. And he's not trying to hide it and put on a happy face. He's looking at God and he's remembering that his God is the Good Shepherd. I journal. I don't know, I won't ask you to raise your hands. I'm so glad I journal. Um, Because when I'm down, sometimes I'll go back and I read these great accounts where God showed up. Because I have a history with God. If you're a believer, you have a history with God. If you're not chronicling the history that you have with God, you, trust me, will forget it. But when you can go back and read it, how God showed up when it looked impossible, and you just rejoice and give thanks, right? You just, you're, you're, you know, it's almost like being born again, again. Just to revisit His faithfulness to you. I, I commend this to you, that you journal. I always like to go back and read about God's faithfulness to Karen and I in a particularly difficult place. Because, you know, when you come to that next difficult place, it's just a great encouragement. Um, I've been... I've been... I've had a couple of nights where I couldn't cry anymore. And I'll just tell you this. God was there. God brought me out. And God was good and faithful. So... When I contemplate future storms, I have a history. So I'm just going to ask you, do you have a history? Do you have a history with God? Do you, do you remember His faithfulness to you? Will you remember it when it all hits the fan next time? Before you, <clears throat> you know, have a fit? Maybe we could be like Job. What? Worship! Maybe we could do that. You know, maybe we could just worship God. When tragedy strikes. Because I'm going to say it again. This is not bad luck. When tragedy enters the Christian's life, it is not bad luck. God means to do something new and different in your life. Beloved, we all need to remember this. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls and your breakers and your waves have rolled over me. 
Verse 8, the Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime and His song will be with me in the night. A prayer to the God of my life. The psalm is, is telling us that the storm is unrelenting. And I love what he's talking about here. <laughs> you know, again, God is sovereign in the storm. What does he say? He said, these are your breakers. These are your waves. You've done this. Right? You're a sovereign God. You're not a pathetic God who can't accomplish all His good pleasure. You've done this. And you've done it for a good reason. Romans 8.28 is always true. It's always, always, always true. Eugene Peterson's paraphrase is insightful here. He says, listen, he says, chaos caused to chaos to the tune of whitewater rapids your breaking surf, your thundering breakers crash and crush me. To what end? To intimacy with God. Wasn't Jesus broken? Of course He was broken. In some measure, you and I will be too. It's just part of what it means to walk with the Son of God. The psalmist not only acknowledges God's sovereignty in the storm, He acknowledges God's presence in it. Beloved, this is important for us to understand. The psalmist says, these are your waves. These are your waves, O Lord. Verses 9 and 10. I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As a shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? I love this. <laughs> I just got through telling you that God doesn't answer many why questions. In fact, I don't think He actually answers any, except the overarching answer, I'm doing something in your life. But if you're going to ask God the why question, at least ask it like the psalmist. He asks it, you know, he, he ask it in a reverential way, right? Why have you forsaken me? He calls him God the rock. He says, why have you forsaken me? At least he's worshiping as he brings the why question. I'm just giving you a testimony. I've never found that the why question is profitable. Uh, I personally have never found it to be profitable. If you have found or experienced something different, I would love to hear from you on that. I don't find it profitable. What I find profitable is open hands and submission. This is what I find profitable. Right? Be careful about demanding God's explanation. One, He's not obliged. Two, He probably won't do it. Um, so I would be careful in that regard. But if you feel the need to ask Him, at least worshiping and worship Him in the midst of it. <laughs> so, so let's just re-examine um, the psalm here real quick. There's a pattern to this, so just stay with me. Let me give this to you very quick. Verses 1 and 2, the psalmist begins in supernatural faith, faith thirsting for God. Verses 3 and 4, the natural senses complain about current circumstances. Verse 5, supernatural faith silences the complaint with hope in God. Verse 6 and 7, the natural senses renew their complaint regarding the current trouble. Verse 8, supernatural faith answers with trust in God's sovereign loving kindness. Verses 9 and 10, the natural senses once again repeat its complaint. Don't you love this? Don't you love this battle? This battle in prayer? Isn't this how you pray? Right? 
Isn't this, isn't this just real for, for us as human beings? We, we try to give something off to God and then you know the, the thought will come back in. The anxiety will come back in. And he's just fighting it, man. He just keeps throwing it up to God. He will not surrender to a lesser thought. He's going to worship. He's going to trust. He's resolute. And so I'm asking you, not only are you resolute in your Christianity, are you resolute in your prayer? Are you resolute in that, 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 that fight of sin? Are you res- you have to, listen, you can't be a Christian and not be resolute. You'll fall by the wayside. You're only a pretender. You've got to be proactive, man. You've got to be proactive. And so how, do all this, how does this mental, emotional, and spiritual struggle end? Verse 11. And we're done. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him, the help of my countenance and my God. He gets the victory. He wrestles with it. And His faith prevails. Faith gets the last word. The psalmist refuses to listen to himself. And I love what Charles Spurgeon says here. 19th century English preacher over in London. He says, the psalmist gets the victory by anticipation. <laughs> this is something I say to you a lot. I think it's something that as Christians we don't, we don't talk enough about. It's really the fruit of faith and anticipation of good from God. I don't see any good right now. It looks really tough. But I have an anticipation. I will... Praise my God. I will stand on that rock. Not because, you know, I'm extraordinary, but because He's extraordinary. He is the Good Shepherd. We remember the story of, and I'm done, we remember the story of Jeremiah and Lamentations. You know, he's in that, he's just writing that dirge that is Lamentations. And, um, then he says, I recall the loving kindness and faithfulness of God. He, he's, go read it. Uh, it's in chapter 3. Go read it. He's, 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 in the, he's in despair about the judgment of Jerusalem, right? And then out of nowhere, he, he, he remembers what his mama taught him about God. God's faithful, right? And he starts writing about the faithfulness of God. It's the, it's the most beautiful and, and I guess most famous verse about God's faithfulness in all the Bible. It's in the middle of a funeral dirge for a city that's being judged for its wanton rebellion. So Jeremiah would not let his circumstance dictate his view of God. He let his view of God dictate his view of circumstance. That's Psalm 42. And I want to say to you, beloved, when the storm comes and when the dreams are shattered, when the tears won't stop and the anguish takes hold, you know where to go. Psalm 42. Psalm 42. It's why God has given it to us. And I'll say this, if you're trusting God to give you anything less than Himself... You're trusting Him in vain. He has not promised that to you. So what I hope, one thing we do accomplish here today is that we're all freed up to pursue God preeminently. You can trust God for that. You will find Him. What, what, is the, what does Jeremiah say? How does it go? You will seek me and find me what? When you search for me with all your heart. God will be found by every true seeker.
God will be found. This is the promise of God. I'm going to close with Isaiah 43, 1-3, and I'm done. Listen to this great text. But now says the Lord your Creator, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine, He says. Don't you love it? You're mine, God says. I'll take you through the valley of the shadow of death, but you don't need to fear any evil. I'm with you. Jeremiah, pardon me, Isaiah continues, When you pass through the waters, a trial, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, a trial, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, a trial, you will not be scorched. Nor will the flame burn you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am your Savior. So beloved, I don't want you to ever forget Psalm 42. I don't want you to ever forget. And let me just close. And I'll read this verse. Verse 5, Psalm 42, Why are you in despair, O my soul, and why have you become disturbed within me? I will hope in God, for I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. I praise God for Psalm 42. I praise God for Psalm 51. Last week, how to you know confess and repent. And Psalm 42, when it's hard, how to come and fight that battle of faith and prayer. Hey, you have everything you need to be a fearless Christian in the world. You have, God's done everything you need. He hasn't left anything undone. Nothing's been left undone. You have the Word. You have the Spirit. You have the body. Nothing's been left undone. So go. Go live at large for the glory of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, what a beautiful, 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 astonishingly beautiful picture of Your faithfulness in the trial. And oh God, I pray that every person sitting in this room hears and understands that when the trial is here, You are here. And You are working a greater good that we cannot begin to fathom or understand. So Lord, I pray that we would be men and women of faith. That we would not just talk it, but that we would walk it. And when the trial comes, we will praise You And when our soul is in despair, we will hope in You because You are our rock. You are our Good Shepherd. And nothing can separate us from Your great love. So Lord, I'm asking You to help us be real in the world. Be real in front of our families. I pray that we would be a living testimony to Your faithfulness and Your goodness and Your sovereign good pleasure in each of our lives. Lord, I pray we won't, be, we won't be shocked when the trial comes. We'll be ready. And we'll know how to pray. And we'll fight through the difficulties by faith. And we will have anticipation of what You're doing. Lord, we love You and we praise You. Thank You for this encouraging Word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and I will read a benediction and we will be dismissed. So I'm not sure where everybody is tonight, but go call them. Tell them we miss them. Come next week. God willing. Okay. Um, The Lord says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you 
and give you peace. Have a great week. God bless. Hope to see you right here next time.